Hello and welcome. I'm Heather. I'm Laura. We're Sweet Sweet Death and we've, I don't know, really taken our time this week. Yeah. But you were sick. Yeah. You lost your voice. I'm always sick. Well, (laughs) yeah, but like you were sick for days, man. Yeah. So I'm sorry about that. Thank you. But you're back. You're here. Uh, fuck. Remember when I said we're going to talk about everything and then sit here and (laughs) stare at each other like idiots? That's what we always do. We should start recording and then you'll just edit it when we get in and... Probably. What a nightmare that would be. Yeah. I already don't edit this well. (laughs) Do we need need to make them suffer more? (laughs) The few people that have stuck Uh, around for this? Right. Um, oh, fuck. I swear something, like, awesome happened. Fuck it. I'm pausing it. All right. In our quest to find something to talk about, Laura looked over and saw my drawing of a penis in a hula skirt. <laughs> Labeled teeny weeny peeny. <laughs> so we have this. Okay. So when we play D&D, for a while, I was a cleric and I had a spiritual hammer that could come out. And then we started, I was like, well, we started joking. I was like, well, what if it's a dildo? Yeah. And I was like, okay, fine. It's your, your like spiritual dildo, whatever. And then, uh, and then our friend Bill. He, he was a janitor forever, and I think he still is, and he found in one of the high schools he was working at, someone had taken a crayon and carved it into a penis. Oh, yeah. And it's just a little stubby guy. <laughs> um, but anyway, we took that, that he brought that, and he was like, here's your spiritual dong. It was like, <laughs> fucking awesome. So every time my little guy would, like, his little spiritual hammer would come out, no pun intended, like, no euphemism, <laughs> this, like, little crayon penis would appear next to him. And then... Robbie is going through this eyelash thing where there's eyelashes fucking everywhere because yeah. she loves eyelashes. One was just like stuck somewhere. So he took <laughs> it and he wrapped it around this penis, this little crayon penis. Yeah. And it makes it just really sit well. Oh. It doesn't teeter. Yeah. And then I was joking that it looked like a little Hawaiian girl, like in a oh, hula that's skirt. Funny, yeah. So I drew, drew a oh. picture of a penis, like as if it were attached to a car. That's so. Funny. Yeah, yep. I looked over, I was like, oh, who was girl? And then I was like, wait, <laughs> there's no face. <laughs> uh, I would argue it has at least one eye. <laughs> yeah. It looks like something's coming out of it, but honestly, I oh, can't. Well, it's, it's like supposed to be right hair, there. but it really just looks like a weird oh. little flow of jism. Wow. <laughs> jism. Yep. Very nice. Yeah. How do we segue out of that now? I did I did another drawing of it. So yeah, we have two oh. illustrations <laughs> and a physical representation Should of make prints of them and that's it. Sell them on our fan page. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> fan page. I can't even post on Facebook. I think the last thing I post I don't even remember the like last time I ago. clicked yeah. on it. Yeah. I uh well I'm really bad at that. And you were like, I'm gonna take it on Instagram. And I've never done anything. Not I need to. It. We keep there's, saying that, dude. Yeah. There's these people who came in to get a cake from us, and they're like 100,000 subscribers. And all they do is review, like, horror movies. What the fuck? And it's just like, it was like, okay, when I listened to it. And I was just like, wow, like, I think the difference between them and us is just they promote and <laughs> yeah. we do nothing. We do nothing. <laughs> we do nothing. Like, yeah. I don't even tell people that I have this podcast. Yeah, like, I know. I didn't either. I, my parents want to know the name of it, and I won't tell them because it's like, let's just keep oh my this gosh. as civil as yeah. possible. But like, I really don't tell. Like, I I did tell people at work, like, okay, I have this podcast to do with my friend. Yeah, I have not told them the name. Yeah, people. I had someone text me like five times. What's the name? 
what's like, the name i'm like never you mind i just like yeah <laughs> i just never tell them especially because uh, okay it was my old bitch neighbor and one day i just posted something about like oh my podcast listeners like non-existent some crap like yeah. that just making a joke and she's like what's the name i'll listen that i just like, never reply because i was like oh i've definitely talked shit about you on yeah here. like <laughs> oh yeah shit you have well she's a fucking crazy yeah, neighbor she is i'm picturing her just doing all kinds of stuff right now the way she would park and put yeah. her garbage and throw dirt in your laundry yes exactly <laughs> she's like a nightmare neighbor yeah literally like do don't they have a show about that? They do. I think it's called like My Neighbor from Hell yeah. or something. She would be on that. Yeah. Do you think you've had a worse neighbor? Mm, let me think. No. No. I think she's, she's a... literally the worst. Sweet. Yeah. Well, may she stay on the top yeah. for a very long time. <laughs> and weirdly enough, she still gets cakes from me. Oh. And I'm like. Mm. You don't have to come here anymore. I know. That's how I feel. I'm like. Oh, what I'm is this facade? Fly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not neighbors. We don't even have to pretend to like each other I know. Anymore. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> was graduation season busy for you? Yeah, it's still going. It's still yeah. going strong because, like, Air Force is graduating. So, oh, my yeah. God. And then, uh, well, because we're just at the store. So, I don't know, dude. Just a lot of needy people. Yeah, you they're know? so Because they're all, annoying. they're all, and especially the white ones. I'm just going to say it. Listen, <laughs> it's the fucking white people. Yeah, especially the military people. I feel like they're just, like. They're the worst. Yeah. Most of them are fun. It's it's the high-ranking ones yeah. that really fucking suck. Yeah. And their wives, dude. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Their wives, this fucking bitch. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Ugh, I can't even. Yeah, she's just like, well, first of all, her base price of her cake's like 70 bucks, and she's calling me being a fucking bitch. Like, I'm like, one second. Like, literally, like, not even 10 seconds passes. Hello. Oh, just, my like, being God. Fake. I got a Yusafa cake. I paid $115 for it. I'm just making sure it's going to be ready and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, fuck? one second. Like, yeah. But, yeah, she's just being so bizarre. And I was like, yeah, I see it's a little six inch. She's like, it's not little. I'm like, oh. Well, it's six inches. So, yeah, yeah it's a little <laughs> fucking cake. But yeah, just the people, dude, they're, like, so fucking mean. Just, like, that all fucking week complaining about shit. Fucking. Needy and demanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I swear, like, if you worked at icing, I've never seen people so demanding. Like, it's weird. Like, more demanding than anywhere I've ever worked. Like, really? so picky. Like, ugh. yeah. I like it. I don't know if this is still, like, true for where you work. And um, I just felt like at our store, like, the people that called the most were, like, the six inch nothing cakes. Yeah. It's like, I congratulations on your eight year anniversary, but you've called three times for <laughs> this six inch cake that, like, you won't. You just want nothing on it. Yeah. Like, I don't know what. <laughs> what are we? What are you doing? Yeah. Besides wasting my yeah, time. Yeah, literally. It's like the littlest cakes they forgot about. Yeah. I I agree with that. And then uh, I was just saying I did get my Dropkick Murphys tickets because they're playing at the Broadmoor or the World Arena. So fuck oh. yeah, I'm gonna be there. Oh, oh you got really sorry. excited. I just remembered. I'm making cookies for Ringo Starr. <gasps> What the fuck? Isn't that cool? Yeah. Excuse me. I'll bring you one so then you can say, I ate the same cookies as Ringo Starr. Yes. Okay. <laughs> how, how did this... Why? You buried the lead. We're sitting here I know. dying of something <laughs> to talk about. And you're like, oh, anyway, I made cookies I for Ringo Starr. I just was reminded because he's going to be performing at the Pikes Peak Center. <gasps> yes. So they ordered cookies from Oh, us. that's so cool. I was excited. Yeah, I get to make them on, um, I think it was like Monday or something like that. 
because okay. they need them for Tuesday. But yeah, Ooh, I thought so it was so cool. cool. There's like little peace signs and then stars. It's like sugar cookies. We usually don't do them, but we're like, well, of course, Ringo, Ringo Star, Star. Yeah. you fucking do we'll make it for a anything. beetle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I was so excited about that. I was like, oh, like <laughs> maybe Paul McCartney will hear about him. Like, oh my God, cookies were the exception. Right? I think. Well, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So. Um, anything my... for a beetle. I know, right? I wish I was like delivering them, like, oh, right, <laughs> Mr. Star. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a really great documentary called Count Me In, and mm-hmm. it's about drummers. And Ringo Starr is like, of course, he's center. You know, he's got a little bit in there. Yeah. Dude, I gained a lot of respect for Ringo Starr really? just from that documentary. Aww. Like, I know that people joke about what a notoriously bad drummer he is yeah. and shit. And you know, I think John Lennon even joked that he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Yeah. And um. <laughs> But, like, I don't know. He had such a great punk rock attitude. He was, he's just, I don't know. Like, seeing him up there, they were like, the argument they made was he was the exact drummer they needed for the Beatles. And it's like, you know what? Fuck yeah. You're Ringo fucking star. You're the drummer of the Beatles, man. (laughs) So, there you go. Yeah. Respect. Salute. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's, in honor of Ringo star, I'll smoke a little bit of this weed i wish i had my tea leaves to smoke or something what your tea leaves have you (laughs) i've been gone down to um, cbd to tea leaves yeah oh shit well i was getting cbd but it was like more expensive than actually buying weed like forty dollars an eighth and i was like why am i doing this i have heard that yeah yeah so then i just have been um getting i go to this weird little like witchy shop and she makes these smoking blends and they're all like different but yeah they'll have lots of weird shit in there i'm like is this safe for me to be smoking (laughs) it's like catnip and rose leaves and catnip lavender (laughs) yeah oh my god some stuff you don't want to smoke like i've heard catnip can actually give you headaches and stuff Yeah. yeah well that's people that were stupid enough to try to smoke it like on its own yeah but um yeah, I mean, it makes me a... feel kind of weird and buzzy. I'm like, oh, I don't know if it's just because I'm not supposed to smoke <laughs> this. Or... <laughs> but yeah, it's nice. So uh, I do that. Fuck. And then I do actually do my CBD still too sometimes, like with the little cigarette things. But yeah. I've been thinking of mixing that with the CBD. So yeah. Yep. John, John takes these little pills. So I can do pretty high dose. I can do, whoops, sorry, my volume's all over the place. I can do um, about 50 in a go. Mm-hmm. No big deal. And I usually, I, the goal is to fall asleep, but I can like stay up. Like I've gone to the movies and stuff. It's yeah. so fun. Um, John had, again, 50. Yeah. John has these little five milligram oh, ones yeah. or gram ones. It's grams, milligrams, milligrams. <laughs> what do we measure THC in? <laughs> five somethings are in that pill form and it's low dosage. He takes five. I take 50. Oh my gosh. Math. Does it do anything to him? He like, says it does. He's like, oh, I feel giggly. Because he took a 12, like, well, 12-ish. Because he took one of my 50 and he quartered it. So we're like, uh, about 12, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, it just, he just slept for hours. Wow. He did nothing. <laughs> he just was in one position for like six hours. So I feel like that would, I feel like I freaked out when I took that 10 milligram gummy and went to the haunted house. I was like, are you serious? Towards the end, I started feeling really weird, but also I don't, I don't know if I was just having a panic attack or what, oh, that but too. well, do you usually get scared at haunted houses? No, but it was just like, it yeah. was like in this part where it was like the lights just like flashing and then like the smell and like, then it really oh, started yeah. to like get to me and I was like, whoa, like feeling like I was having a panic attack. 
Which yeah. maybe if I wasn't in the haunted house, I would have felt fine. But I think it's just like, it felt like I was in like a fucking horror movie where I was like, oh, like. Did I tell you that, that when I went to the haunted house, I took an edible too? <clears throat> oh, really? Yeah, I, t- I took my 50. And I went through. It was fucking great. Wow. I, w- I would do it again. Yeah, I, I wish. Yeah. I wish I was like that. <laughs> <laughs> this is just from years of abusing THC. It's funny. I feel like we s- reversed roles. Yeah, that's right. You were quite the pothead when yeah. I met you. You were joking because I was like, oh, it takes me a few weeks. Or no, it took me like literally a couple months to get through an eight. Yeah. Usually. Well, now I don't smoke as much now, yeah, but like, right. I mean, it's mostly the edibles, but I can pop in 50 and be fucking fine. Yeah. There have been days I've taken two. Like, it's, yeah. it's fucking <laughs> fine. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, shit, this is all happy fun times, but we could just start and go real grim yeah. real fast. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're doing South Carolina. I'm going to go first. And uh, it's just, we're going to miss those giggles we just had, you know. (laughs) It's going to get real sad real fast. So I covered the Charleston shooting um, that happened at the AME Church uh, back in 2015. And I do get quite a bit into the Confederate flag just because... I mean, fuck me. The the two things are tied together just so perfectly. So, all right. In 2015, a young white man by the name of Dylan Roof calmly walked into the historic Mother Emanuel, a predominantly black church led by Senator Clementa Pinckney. The group welcomed him in open with open arms, not knowing what kind of evil intentions he had for them that evening at their weekly Bible study. Once the study had concluded and they readied themselves for their last prayer, Roof revealed a gun and he began shooting. That night, he murdered nine people in cold blood, um, and the pastor's wife and his daughter were in the office, and they were the ones that initially made that 911 call. So before getting into the shooting, I thought maybe we could talk about the church just a little bit and its significance in the community, because Dylan didn't just pick a church. He picked, like, the church, the black church in Charleston. Um, So it was founded in the late 18th century after freed black people were told, this is crazy. I don't know why it's crazy or why it shocks me, but, like, Free black people and slaves were not allowed to meet. They had to be under the watchful eye of white people. So due to some shady white people shenanigans, the free black people started a church. Um, In 1822, there was a slave revolt, or revolt, I'm sorry. So the church got burned down. So this church, like, yes, we're awesome. We're free black people. We have this church. This revolt happens. Someone that was tied to the revolt happened to be a member of that church, so they burned the church down. Uh, They rebuilt it in 1834, but they had to stop going because laws got passed that black churches were just, like, not allowed to exist. So then they met in secret until 1865, and after the Civil War ended, uh, they started meeting in public again. But then in 1886, an earthquake knocked their fucking church over. Um, So basically, this church has been through it. And it's pretty significant, you know, Coretta Scott King... Booker T. Washington and Martin Luther King Jr. are just a few of the famous people that have actually spoken at that church. Um, Dylan Roof wasn't someone that was very noticeable. At the time of his arrest, he was 21 years old with a wiry frame and slight build. He was kind of a lanky kid. Um, slightly troubled, he had divorced parents. He bounced around a little bit from like his parents' homes, and he underperformed at school. After finishing some of ninth grade, he dropped out. His friends described him as a little wild when he was drinking, but not much on the violent side. He told racist jokes, but this is the South, so I don't really know how telling of, the, of anything that is. Um, during a drunken night with a friend, he spilled 
to this particular friend that he'd been working on some big six-month project that he was going to be doing something really crazy soon. Uh, this friend that Dylan is hanging out with, that he's saying he's working on some six-month project, um, the friend didn't take him seriously, he said, because no one ever took Dylan seriously. They didn't realize that he'd been self-radicalized through some scary internet searches. In 2012, he was captivated... <laughs> Fucking hell, dude. I swear to God. All right. Here we go. Okay. In 2012, he was captivated with the Trayvon Martin story. Um, and instead of looking up normal things, he typed in black on white crime. And the Google algorithm at the time sent him to a ton of white nationalist uh, websites. So he was convinced that black people, that black men were raping white women left and right, and that black people were killing white people. Uh, but their stories weren't being heard because of things like Trayvon Martin. You know, like he really felt like he somehow was the fucking victim in all of this. Um when investigators went digging, they found a lot of disturbing imagery on a website that Dylan had himself created. Uh, there were videos and photos of all kinds of stuff, like burning the American flag. He was shooting at targets. Um, you could see his laser sight, visiting Confederate sites and monuments. But the most important thing they found was photo after photo of Dylan posing with the Confederate flag. Um, in fact, the flag became a heated debate about its meaning during this time. One man in the documentary said that Dylan worshipped that flag, and you can kind of see it. So Ruth isn't the only person that worships the flag and its meaning, so let's dive into just a little bit of the Confederate flag. Um, it feels... Oh, God. That was <laughs> I thought your computer was Yeah, I was like, oh up. my God, what now? <laughs> okay, okay. So everyone knows the Confederate flag. It's... It's a bright red, white, and blue flag with stars and bars, so no need to get into how it was designed, but long story short, it was Robert E. Lee's battle flag. It's, still, it's not technically the Confederate flag. Um, otherwise, the original design is a mostly white flag with a small version of the Confederate flag tucked up in the corner, and uh, right before the war ended... So the problem with that flag, I guess, is that when the wind wasn't blowing, it just looked like a white surrender flag, so they mm. would think that they were surrendering, but they weren't. Mm. So right towards the end of the war, they added a red stripe. It's called the bloodstain flag, so that it wouldn't just look like a white flag, but then the war ended and they never got to use it. So mm. boo fucking who to the oh. Confederates <laughs> and their fucking flag. So... Um, let's see. So the Confederate flag was hardly flown around the South um, up until around the 1940s and 50s when racial issues really start to take center stage of the political arena. So it's important to remember that there is something that does make the South kind of a more of a unique place. Like when you really think about it, they're the only place in the U.S. that's ever experienced both invasion and defeat. So I don't like... I don't know. Does that seem kind of strange, like a strange way to put it? But at the same time, like they might see themselves that way. Huh. Like I'm 38 and I'm just now thinking of it like <laughs> yeah. this. Like I wonder how many people in the huh. South have felt, you know, yeah, thought so, about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, anyways. So. Uh oh, I lost my place. Oh, so in Mississippi, as an example, like the South being the South, Mississippi before the war was literally the richest state in the country. Oh, wow. I believe today it's almost one of the poorest yeah, states in the like, country. It's like the opposite now. It hasn't gotten much better since the Civil War. Like, it's still one of the poorest um, states in the country, which is pretty insane. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure it's recording. Uh, the way it's all going, I'm just paranoid now that it's all <laughs> going to go tits up. So, 
Uh, the only time anyone would see that flag was for Confederate cemeteries or veteran halls. Um, in Birth of a Nation, the flag was seen flying to represent the South, but again, it's still like not really catching on. Um, really, only the South or Confederate serving families like knew or know about the flag. Knew about the flag. Um, even in the giant Klan march in the 1920s on Washington, in which literally tens of thousands of white hoods flooded uh, the streets of D.C., they used only American flags because even as racist as they were, they saw themselves as true Americans. Um, and it was Robert E. Lee who famously said that the South need not glorify, um, you know, its generals and its and it's war, like it was time to pack the flag up, not raise any monuments, and the South literally did the direct opposite of that. So before I go too much further, and if you're wondering if the flag really has anything to do with this story or not, just know Amazon reported that in the same week of the Emanuel shooting, Confederate flag sales went up 8,000%. What? 8,000%. Was how I mean that's how much the flag sales for Confederate flags went up the same week as the shooting. After nine people died, I'm no expert. Oh my god! But I think that says fucking something. You know what I mean? So, the value of slaves in the South at the time was worth more than all the banks and all the manufacturing in the North. It was literally so worth it for them to hold on to slavery or try to. Um, slavery had been the South's entire economy for 200 years, and then suddenly it was gone. So the Reconstruction Era, or the Tragic Era, era as it's referred to in the South, was definitely painful to go through. Um, I've spoken about them briefly, but in Nashville, Tennessee, in, 19, in 1894, a group of 30 withered hags created a group called oh. the Daughters of the Confederacy. Yeah, I remember you telling me about them. And then a decade from there, after, you know, in 1894, the number grew to 30,000 withered old hags. <laughs> and then by World War One, they had convinced 100,000 withered old hags to join their cause. So, hot damn, did they like their imagery. They personally helped erect hundreds of statues between 1894 and World War One. There are currently anywhere from 700 to 800 Confederate monuments throughout the region, uh, the United Daughters of the Confederacy had also managed to get their grubby little rat hands on school textbooks in which, for some reason, they determined what into, went, went into the history books for the Civil War. And they also, I guess something that they did that I forgot that they did was they downplayed the KKK. They would they sold it as this, like, really great organization, and they were really all about helping. And they put this in fucking public school books in textbooks for children to read so like no wonder it's so fucked up down there anyway was that um, only in the like south where yeah because that's only wherever the united daughters of the confederacy could get their fucking little hands (laughs) on the on people's shit um so but the flag you know what about the flag during world war ii many men from the south found themselves in strange waters a lot of young men were venturing out to other parts of the country into other parts of the world like this is, I mean, it's it's almost like they're from a different planet. So many started hanging up Confederate battle flags as their identifier. Like, hey, I'm a Southerner. If you're a Southerner, you'll know that I am a Southerner. Yeah. So in World War II, you kind of start seeing just men, like they just kind of start using it as a way to be like, this is who we are. Um, and then after that, so a lot of young men come home, they have the GI Bill, which in which a lot of, soldiers went back to college so then you start seeing fraternity houses in the south pop up with confederate flags flying over their fraternity houses with like all this southern confederate imagery shit they're all really into it with their swords and their little hats and everything (laughs) 
Um, but then you start seeing it pop up in football games in Mississippi. They're really into that flag. Um, so it's like the 40s and then the 50s, and it doesn't seem that bad. But then when you get into 1948, Harry Truman becomes president. And he campaigned very heavily on desegregating and equality. So Confederate flags, they just sort of pop out like, you know, the state flower or something. So the South panics and they form a very short-lived Dixie Crap Party, which was just pro-segregation. That was their whole purpose. They're just pro-segregation. Um, it's the first schism of the Democratic Party in the South, which now, you know, ironically is now largely Republican. Yeah. But in the Dixie Crap crack in the dixiecrat uh party it was a freaking confederate parade with stars and bars as far as the eye could see their fearless leader strom thurmond uh said something along the lines of like no armies big enough to force southerners to desegregate and admit the n-word race into their theaters their homes their swimming pools like you know just rallying about how horrible it would all be like Apparently, something that really is not captured is how the South, like, they for sure thought this was, like, the end of the fucking world. Like, they really believed, like, this is the worst thing that could ever be happening to us. So, okay. And then once Brown versus the Board of Education hits in the 1950s, then the Confederate flag is fucking everywhere. And, like, you can see it's hanging off of cars, like, the way you see, like, douchebags today with their trucks and their yeah. flags, whatever. Like, it was like that, but, like, a thousand times worse. Um, you know, they've got, like, on big, like, poster boards, save us from the Black Plague and, like, keep our oh schools God. white. Um, this older black man is explaining Jim Crow growing up. He was like, I didn't see a Disney movie until I was a teenager until they ended segregation. Like, he'd never seen a, t a Disney movie before. Yeah. And this was, like, the 60s, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, oh. sorry. So. That's crazy. Yeah. And then in 1961, to honor the 100-year anniversary of the Civil War, South Carolina raised the Confederate flag over the state capitol. It's like, that's a weird way <laughs> yeah. to commemorate the South. Like, when you lose, you just flew the loser's flag? Yeah. What the fuck? Anyway. So in Alabama, just to show, like, the timeline, I'm just trying to, like, bring it all back mm -hmm. to the flag. In Alabama in 1963, Scott Wallace was elected where he famously, famously stated, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. This is the same year the Birmingham campaign is taking place, where the news was able to show the world what happened to peaceful black protesters. They've got guns drawn on them. They're being attacked by police dogs. They're being sprayed down with fire hoses. MLK gets arrested. Um... Alabama that fucking year the year all this is happening is trying to incorporate the confederate flag into their state flag so it's like when I hear people say states rights it's like you need to fucking hear this shit because this is crazy yeah. um <clears throat> yeah when Robert Kennedy showed up to Alabama they stuck a little confederate flag up on top of the state house like it's obviously means something yeah. like it's so much more than just a piece of cloth no, Garrett and I used to always argue that dude it would Ugh. He was very pro. Yeah. Because he would say the same shit. It's history. And it's like, it's really not. But okay, yeah. so put it behind a glass display at yeah. a museum. Like, why Why are yeah. we still flying this shit? So, why are we telling little kids in school that the KKK were f super fun and great? Yeah. Um, so, anyways. In South Carolina, in Charleston, there are... And this is like a, a bit I got from Jon Stewart. Um, if you ever watched The Daily Show... But Jon Stewart made this, like, 
really heartfelt message in the very beginning of the sh- of his show, like the the day it happened or the day after or something like that. And he was like, you've got a kid who lives in Charleston. The names, the streets are named after Confederate generals. There's monuments everywhere. And, the, and at the time, the Confederate flag did fly over the state Capitol building. And he's like, and somehow the white guy feels like his country is being taken from him. Like he has everything. Like he has all of it. And he's still convinced he doesn't have anything. And just like, what a weird thought process that is, you know? I don't know. So on that horrible night that Dylan Roof walked into a place of worship and Senator uh, Pinckney had even offered him a seat where he sat quietly while they read through the Gospel of Mark, but he had madness running through his mind. So when they stood up for their prayer and they go to like hold hands, and the reports vary a little bit on this, but he shot Clementa um, Pinckney first, and then he basically just shot anyone and everyone Um, Polly Shepard, she was one of three survivors from that night. She described how Ruth shot her son after he pleaded with him to stop. And, like, it was fucking horrible. There's actually a documentary called Emanuel. If you really want to hear their stories, you can. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's just them talking about their experience. I mean, it's grim, but, I mean, it's important. So, um, anyways, and she talked about, like, her son was shot and then roof you know dylan roof was busy with other people and then he came back and the son was pleading like please don't kill me like you don't have to do this and then he shot him again and like the kid was like going through hallucinations and stuff like you could tell his body was just like dying and she was Mm, describing it it's fucking horrible um so anyway uh dylan roof only shot with hollow points oh my gosh and if you aren't familiar with guns or bullets, hollow, hollow points are meant to rip a person apart from the inside, and it is an extremely painful way to die. The oldest victim was 87 years old. Oh my gosh. He shot an 87-year-old woman. I don't know how she was a threat to Dylan Roof, and I guess we'll never really know. Um, but yeah, and then the youngest, 26, being that that woman's son that described oh. him dying. Um, so... Roof had a laser mounted to his gun, which made it really easy to hit his targets, you know. Yeah. Um, and then he went to Polly Shepard, like I said, the woman that described her son um, passing away. And he held the gun to her head, basically, and said, like, have I have I shot you yet? And she said, no. And he said, OK, well, I'm not going to kill you because I need, you know, someone needs to go out and tell the story. Like someone needs to live to talk about it. So he chose her, you oh know, God. but just because there was like no one left to kill. So, and unbeknownst to either of them, while this is happening, um, Senator Pinckney's wife is calling 911, and soon after, Dylan quietly slid out the door and calmly drove away. The scene was swarmed with police, rescue crews, loved ones, the public, media. Um, The mayor arrived that night looking for Senator Pinckney to better understand the situation, but was informed that the senator had been among the victims, and that was how he learned his friend died that night. And as the news spread, um, captured images of Roof began to spread as well. And soon both his father and uncle reported him to the police, um, having like instantly recognizing him. The kid has a bowl cut. Like he's super recognizable, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the next morning, Roof was quietly arrested, taken to jail to be questioned, and he was given some Burger King. So, what? yeah, <laughs> very quickly, Dylan admitted to the hate crime and sometimes even laughed about it. Like you can hear him in an interview super monotone no emotion and then like occasionally laughing about it it's like what the fuck dude yeah 
So Roof was unrepentant in his actions during his bond hearing in which several members publicly forgave him. Um, he stood emotionless. And there were a couple people um, in one of the documentaries saying like, I heard them forgiving him. I will never forgive him. Yeah. And it was like, I respect that because yeah. fuck this kid, man. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so everyone's got to heal yeah. in their own way. A lot of people forgave him. They were like, just fuck it. Just yeah. forgive him. I got to move on. Yeah. Um, I'm a vengeful bitch, though, so I hang on I to know. shit. I um, want to fucking kill him. For sure. Yeah, that's why when they took him anywhere, he was always wearing a bulletproof vest because yeah. I think they knew. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, uh, in his uh, in his court trial, Roof repeatedly rejected the notion that he was too incompetent to represent himself. I guess his lawyers were pushing really hard, like, this kid's not right. Like, he really needs to be represented by someone. And he was like, nope, I'm going to do it myself. And the judge ruled he was competent enough to represent himself, and he did. But he just came off as crazy. Yeah. You know, he continues to make these sad arguments about black men raping white women. He called no witnesses. He cross-examined no one. And in, in, in his closing um, statement, he said he still felt like he had to do it. Like, I think insinuating he'd do it again if he had to. Oh, yeah. So the only thing I really didn't like about this trial is that Dylan did have two examinations done by psychologists. Um, I think they rec recommended he not represent himself and that they're... Their results, I believe, as far as I can tell, still remain sealed to this day. Oh. No one knows what that those psyche valves said. And I just wonder if maybe they made a mistake by just not letting someone represent him. He admitted to it. Yeah. Like, he's already going to go. He's done forever. Why? Anyway, I don't know. I just didn't like that. That feels really shady. Yeah. So. Huh. So then digging into how Dylan obtained his gun really came into question. So it turns out he'd bought a Glock 45 when he turned 21 with some birthday money. The gun store owner had sent in Dylan's information to the National Data Exchange, which I, I guess is the place you send it to, uh, to get a approval from the background check. It should have been flagged. So he had actually been, and it didn't say what year, he had been caught at some point with a drug called Suboxone. Do you know? Are you familiar with that? I've never heard of it. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. S-U-B-O-X-E-N-E. So it's a medication used to treat heroin addiction. Oh. But apparently it can be abused in some way. I don't... I think it gets you, like, slightly high or something like that. It's, like, weaning you off almost or... Yeah, but it's, something like... like that. I he don't didn't know. have a heroin addiction. It's <laughs> weird. Why? Eh. He's a weird fucking kid, so... Um, he wasn't convicted, but the charge was there, so it should have been enough to flag it. Like, they should not have allowed Dylan to buy that gun. Um, so here's what's really fucked up, is the gun owner waited three days. And by law, they are allowed to make a judgment call. So if you don't hear back from the FBI in three days, the choice is now you yours. Mm -hmm. Even if he's a fucking psychopath, if they didn't get to it, fuck it, you can sell him the gun anyway. Um... And then the other thing that's really fucked up is that apparently their examiners, at least at the time, didn't have access to the National Data Exchange. So the thing they need to get information from, they don't really have good access to. Yeah. So that's our government hard at work. Um, so the, the whole lack of calling people back of the FBI just not getting back to people on their background checks, it's known as a three-day loophole. It is now called the Charleston loophole. So the families sued the FBI for not doing their jobs, and they were awarded money. I don't remember. I think it was actually a lot of money. I'm going to have to look that up after. So one of the judges said, and I thought it was just such a sick, lawful burn, 
The record reveals that the FBI's background check system is disturbingly superficial, excessively micromanaged by rigid standard operating procedures, and obstructed by policies that deny the overworked and overburdened examiners access to the most comprehensive law enforcement federal database. So, mic drop, judge. (laughs) Um, In 2015, when the shootings happened, um, the state... So, in South Carolina, at the state capitol... At the top of the building, the state flag and the American flag are lowered to half mass. But since there had been a rule put in place to take the Confederate flag at the very least down from the top, I believe, and they just put it on like its own special little flagpole in front of the courthouse. So it's flying there. So they lowered the American flag and the state flag. They did not lower that Confederate flag to half mass. So they said, well, we, we couldn't do it because it's it's fixed to the top of the pole. But, like, they took no effort. They did nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. Luckily, some activists took some motherfucking action, <laughs> as they do. So a young black woman, I hate that I forgot to write down her name. At first, I thought her name was Courtney. And then I remember they said her name again. And it was like, it is not Courtney. <laughs> and I never fixed it. So a young black woman and her friend protested. And the friend was white. Um, by they took it the fuck down. She trained on different flagpoles. She would like she had this little like strap thing, oh almost gosh. like you see like a like like in the islands, you know, where like a guy will like just shimmy up with like a yeah. a rope around it and like, like kind of climb up Mulan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets up this pole basically, and she trains. And finally, they're like, "All right, we're ready to do it for real. We're gonna go to the capital." She's got like bolt cutters and like all kinds of things like just in case she needs it she does not know like how secure it's going to be up there um so her friend dresses up as a construction worker they hop over the little fence that's there she starts climbing the pole by the time people notice um she's like out of reach they can't get to her so she's climbing up real cops show up to the scene because they're like all right we're gonna fucking go and i guess instantly what, like, the leading, whoever was in charge just was, like, I just tase her down. And she's high up. Yeah. She's dangling. She's not secure to anything. Yeah. She's also on a metal fucking pole. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is the worst thing you could possibly do because she even says out loud, when the cops get there, this is a peaceful protest. I'm going to surrender once I take this flag down. Like, I'm yeah. coming down. I have no weapons. I'm just getting this flag. And his response is, fuck it, just taser. So luckily the friend who is there, they haven't removed him from the scene. He just sticks his hand on the pole and says, like, okay, if you're going to do it, like, you have to, you got to do me too. And all these cameras are going to be here and watch this because now media is starting to arrive. Like, people are noticing what's going on. So luckily they, they just let her do her thing. But apparently it was a tense fucking situation of her getting this. All she did was get the Confederate flag down. Yeah. And that was, they were ready to fucking kill her. Oh my God. Um, so the flag has officially come down in South Carolina. It is no longer up, uh, you know, near or around the fucking state Capitol building, which it never should have been in the first place. Um, you know, they've got a long way to go. This whole country has a long way to go. Dylan Roof was sentenced to death in January of 2017, but will most likely appeal that for the next few decades. Yeah. So, uh, real quick, my sources, and I do have to say, I'm sorry too. I feel like I missed, there were so many important stories within that story that like, I think it was uh, good. I didn't notice. So yeah, (laughs) I I, like, I know I missed a ton of stuff, but 
anyway, so my main source was Downing a Flag. You can find that on PBS. Highly recommended. Fuck, that was so good. Um, History.com, CNN, a couple articles, one by Ed Payne, another one by Ray Sanchez, um, a News Republic article by Douglas R. Egerton, Code Switch um, on NPR, an article by Kat Chow, Relevant.com, an article by Emily McFerrin Miller, New York Times, an article by Matt Stephen, another one by um, Michael Schmidt, and then AmericanProgress.org. There was no author, but I got it under the Frequently Asked Questions page. So I really feel like I missed so much stuff, but I mean, that was pretty much the gist of it. Just the main points of the Confederate flag, how it really can kind of shape people. And there was a flag specialist they have a special name but he said he made a really good point he's like listen the whole purpose of a flag i study flags for a living you instantly create an in group and an out group that is the whole purpose of a flag Hmm. sometimes it can be really positive sometimes it can be really negative you know um you know the american flag is going to mean something different for me than say a person living on the reservation yeah going to be two totally different perspectives uh but yeah i I think it's just important. A flag is not just a flag, you know, and a point a guy made on the documentary too. He's like, if the flag is just a piece of cloth, then not that I'm religious, but you know, then the cross is just a stick, you know, like (laughs) if you want to break it down like that, like certain meanings to certain people, you can break down anything, but yeah, don't minimalize it. Anyway. All right. So that was my Hmm. very long story. That was full of turmoil, man. Oh, good. It's still recording. Fuck. That's good. I don't think it was like too sad. You don't think sad so? Is like most, I mean, it's sad, it, like, but yeah. Uh, but I will say though, like, when you if you were to watch it, tone way. I mean, obviously, it's yeah. way different when you're listening to a person talk yeah. about that experience. It it's always like, makes oh. me cry and stuff like that. I can't oh, even. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have wept <laughs> fucking yeah. writing these stories, dude. They're so yeah. horrible sometimes. But I don't know. I'm happier to know them than not. Yeah, know. I agree. I think it's like something you need to be heard, even like. My I I think I told you like Zaya used to be like oh I can't listen to stuff like that I'm like why, why? dude like the fuck yeah. I'm like and I feel like it's just as bad like yeah I was yeah. telling someone to watch Blackfish I was like you should watch it she's like no I was like why she's like because then I won't want to go to SeaWorld and I was like that's what? the fucking point <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so angry oh my gosh yeah <clears throat> drink water okay <clears throat> All right, well, I'm doing my story on killer kid Christopher Pittman. So, yeah, so um, Christopher Frank Pittman's childhood was full of a lot of challenges, at least more than like typical 12 year old, I guess, experiences within their short lifetime. Uh, He was born on April 9th, 1989, in Alabama. And his early life was troubled. Um, his mother, I think, left him and his sister when they were just, like, two years old. Oh. Yeah. So, um, apparently his parents divorced due to issues within their marriage. They had met in high school. And I think they were both, like, pregnant by the time they were. she was, like, a sophomore and he was a junior or something like that. So, I don't know, a year or so after dating and they're teenagers. So, um, they had their his older sister, Danielle... And then I think a little bit later, got pregnant again, had Christopher, and then it was just like typical young love relationship, moved super fast, and then they ended up splitting up. And after the divorce, uh, his mother, Hazel, would leave them, and she actually, I think, left them with uh, her mom, who said, like, 
basically acknowledged she was like a piece of shit and was like oh yeah she didn't even try to see them for fucking 10 years like so he's like super sad he's just like a lot of abandonment throughout his life so um they then moved in with their maternal grandma but then just a few years after that they would move in with their paternal grandparents and there was reports of strained relationships within the family just like everyone hating each other like you know like yeah just like the dad hates him and grandpa hates them and just like really messy honestly um um lots of like allegations of abuse and domestic violence um they moved around a ton they're just like back and forth a lot like with the grandma and with their maternal and then with their dad um i think for a brief period of time they ended up going to live with their dad in florida and he had remarried and i think his relationship was also toxic with his wife he was dating um so they were like witnessing that and i guess there was a night where christopher had threatened to kill himself in front of his sister and then his dad like came in and was like you know what like you can't be here anymore like if you're gonna be like this whatever like so sent him back to live with his grandparents but yeah um so overall he was a good kid though like especially when he was younger he was well behaved very timid just all around normal um but some people almost said that he was like too good like you know when like people like beat the shit out of their kid and they're like super well behaved almost looks like they're like scared to do anything some people kind of claimed it was like that but i don't know but um as he got older he did begin to warm up to people and his family all claimed that he was thoughtful and caring never got into trouble at school whatever so besides the family issues he also had um a lot of like depression and just anxiety and stuff for like a kid his age um i think they also said he had adhd and um, just was bad at managing his anger and impulses. So as I mentioned, his home life was unstable, very unpredictable, and as this went on, he became very depressed and sad, so he was put on Paxil at just 12, and then his depression escalated when he was threatened, or when he threatened suicide and was sent away. And so um, his grandparents were really good people i guess they were like always there for him and his sister whenever they needed them like just like really like stable people throughout his life so i don't know why he really like he had like a lot of resentment towards them i think he had lived with them for like six years previously but yeah they sent him to live with them um they're super well off i think the grandpa had like retired out of the army they lived on like 20 acres of land had like little sheds and tree house um just like typical little retired old couple living out in the woods down in the south so that actually sounds pretty cool yeah it's like chill so um that's where he was living and it was in chester south carolina he was still on his antidepressants but when i guess when he got there i guess because it's such like a small town they didn't have the paxil i think that's how you say it so the doctor immediately just switched him to Zoloft, which I guess is like a really big like no-no. They're oh. both the serotonin receptor inhibitors, but um, I guess like really bad things can happen, which we see, or I mean, I guess allegedly see. So allegedly he began to experience negative side effects from the new medication. Um, some people do think it's why he ended up killing his grandparents. Others think it didn't play a part at all, that he was just crazy. I don't know. So, um, there's even, I think his sister had even described him as manic at one point, but, um, yeah, he had been experiencing lots of weird stuff, not just like psychological, but also like burning sensations Said he felt like his skin was crawling. Um, they had to put him on pain medication because of it. 
And so when he went to see the doctor again about this, instead of taking him off the medicine, he just upped his dosage from 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams. What year is this? It's like 96, I think. Fucking yeah. hell. Yeah. Or maybe not. No, it was 2000. Sorry. Oh, still. So, yeah. That's only four years difference. <laughs> still. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, this is crazy. So, yeah. All of this, the combination of the freaking family shit, him moving all over the place, his own psychological difficulties, I think eventually drives him to what would unfold in November. So, November 29th, 2001, early in the morning, about a quarter to seven, two men drove their 1996 truck, there's 1996, (laughs) um, to their normal hunting spot off the intersection of two logging roads. One of the two men, um, named Pennington, climbed up his ladder, gets ready and sits in, you know, one of those little deer stands up in the tree. And then the other dude, Robinson, goes to his stand on the other side of the woods and as he's driving over, he notices a black Nissan Pathfinder parked on the less left side of the road. And he notices this just because, I guess they're in a hunting club, so they, like, paid to be there. They, like, reserved their spots, you know, so you're not out there and, like, get shot or something. So he's kind of pissed. He's like, who the fuck is out here? But anyways, he keeps driving just a little ways down, makes it to his tree stand, and then he's sitting up there. And I think an hour passed by, and he eventually starts hearing, like, a truck coming down the road. And he thinks it's the same car he had just seen. And he hears it all of a sudden get stuck, like tires spinning, sticks snapping. And then he hears someone like get out, the door shut, all of that. And um, I think he's kind of annoyed because, you know, he wants it to be quiet so he can kill a deer or whatever the fuck. Um, and so I guess both of the men claim they could hear this going on. And then they hear what hears like, or what sounds like a little like twenty two rifle or something go off in the woods. And then all of a sudden he hears like, help help me holy shit and it's like a little boy's voice and he's like what and so then he's like i'm not coming down from my tree (laughs) and so he's like no offense i i don't know if i would either dude hell no so he's just like follow my voice or whatever and then um chris pitt (laughs) yeah chris pittman's small figure is making his way towards him in hunting clothes holding a rifle and before he even gets a chance to really even say anything to the kid, I think he just asks him his name. He starts going off and is like, I was kidnapped by this black guy and he brought me into these woods. And Pennington is just like really confused. He's like, um, he thinks like it's almost like a setup because it's just in the middle of the woods. Like yeah. this little kid. He's like, this is so weird. So he climbs down and he notices the kid is actually holding a forty five caliber lever lever action rifle, which... I don't know. They said it could take down a bear or some shit. So I, I was believe like, Whoa. that. That sounds like a bear taker yeah. downer if I've ever heard. Um, it was like a bigger gun than what he had. And so he was like, what the fuck? And then he said it was cocked and he had the hammer pulled back. And the kid's just like waving it around oh while he's talking, God. like telling the story. He's like, hey, how about you give me that gun? The kid's like, no. And so then he has to like kind of gain his trust and is like, just give me the gun. Like I'll unload mine. So the kid's finally like, okay. And then he takes the gun, takes the shells out of his gun. And then the kid's like, show me how to get out of these woods. So he's just thinking the kid's acting so weird. He's like, okay. But he goes back to his friend and he figures that he's acting pretty normal under the circumstances, especially if he just got kidnapped and he was acting really nervous. He had like a cut or something on his arm. So anyways, um, they walk, they go find his friend 
and they're going to get him help. And then the kid starts going off again about their four-wheeler because they rode like a four-wheeler out there. And he's like, oh, that black guy who kidnapped me, he saw that four-wheeler and he knows it's here. And basically what? just manipulating them, I think, so that they would leave their four-wheeler in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. And um, they like believed him because they were like, yeah, well, like it's a bad idea, especially if we're trying to sneak you out. So yeah. I don't know what was going through his mind, but this little kid was freaking sneaky. That's all I know. Um, Also told them that the black guy had killed his grandparents. And so they're just like, whoa, like, okay. Like he's like seen a, like a lot. And so they, uh, oh, and then he tells them that he has a car on the road somewhere near the woods and it's stuck in the mud. And both of the men are confused. Like, how the fuck did you get the car this far down the logging road? And so they make it to the car, and when they get there, a fucking dog comes shooting out from under the car. And it's, like, starting to try to attack the guy. And he's like, what the fuck? And then they're, like, fighting off this dog. It's, like, going crazy. And it's the kid's dog, but he doesn't say that. And one of the dudes is like, I'm going to have to shoot this fucking dog. And the kid's like, give me the gun. I'll shoot it. And it's his dog. What the fuck? And then they're, like, <laughs> looking no. at him, like, uh, they're, like, well, maybe he'll calm down, which the dog does calm down. I think it just, like, ends up, like, going off, whatever, back yeah. to the car, under it, whatever. And they're, like, okay, um. It's been great. Yeah. But... They're, like, they're, like, we're going to take you to the, um, fire station, which is, like, near there or something like that. So, I think they walked there. So, they make it to the fire station, because I think they were both volunteer firefighters, and they go inside, they call 911. They're like, hey, empty your pockets. So he empties his pockets, and all that was in his pockets was just handfuls of fucking bullets. And they're like, yeah. So then they ask him again, like, okay, what happened again? Tell us. And he's like, I was just inside cleaning my shotgun. Then I heard someone come inside. It was a black man. He threatened to kill me if, like, he didn't listen. And then he went and killed his grandparents, then kidnapped him and brought him to the logging roads. They asked him for a description. It's like super vague. They asked him if he knew his name. He's like, oh, he said he was afraid to tell me his name because if I knew his name, then I would tell on him. So uh, eight hours before this, there had been a fire at around 11.52 p.m. And I guess in the town, whenever like a fire happens, they were all like volunteer firefighters. So one of the first guys to get there after the call rings this little siren it's basically like fucking silent hill you ever seen silent hill the siren that goes off it's oh like, fuck no are you kidding me <laughs> have you seen silent hill yeah of course not so they turn on the siren let everyone so like everyone in the fucking town knows there's a fire um this guy tommy is calling people he calls his brother to come in um the fire chief and his wife come in and they're like old as fuck dude i think they're like in their 70s or something like oh, that shit. And then they all think it's, like, a forest fire or something. But as they're getting closer to it, they're realizing, like, oh, no, this is, like, near the Pittman's residence. And, of course, it's their beautiful little house built with their blood, sweat, and tears. And by the time they get there, which it only took them seven minutes to respond from the original call. But the freaking roof was already caving in. It was in shambles. Oh. Like, yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, But they see that Joy, the grandmother's car, isn't in the driveway. And they're like, oh, well thankfully they're not home like they're like relieved like we just got to get it out see if we can get inside and like look around or whatever so and within 45 minutes they have it under control and then out and i just think it's crazy that they're all like little volunteer firefighters like yeah yeah so um i from what i read is like very like hometown like vibes so they all know each other and so they're like oh let's go inside and see if we can save anything for mr Pittman." 
like any of his stuff. So they go inside, and immediately they see the five-foot-tall gun safe, and it's intact and open. Mm-hmm. And so inside they see, like, 27 guns, and they're all in those little, like, bags. So they mm-hmm. pull them out, take them out, tag them, whatever, and they're like, oh, yeah. I think one of the guys it's like, he'll be glad we saved his guns or something like that. And so then Andy, one of the volunteer firefighters, notices like a wooden section jutting out right over where the gun case was. And it looks like kind of like a loft area. And someone's like, oh, yeah, they added like a second floor in after they built the house. So it probably used to be a staircase, but it was like burnt up. So they end up getting a ladder and they go up just to make sure nothing's up there. And that's where they find the bodies of Joy and John. And so... Mind you, these are all the volunteers, like I said. And since it's such a small town, no one's seen a dead body in over 15 years. Oh, shit. And just because of this, I think one of them's like, hey, like, we need to treat this like a crime scene, even though yeah. they think it's from the fire. They're just like, we, we need to leave. So that everyone gets out of the house. Um, they had to remove the bodies using cranes because the house was, like, going to freaking collapse. Oh, wow. And at this point, they're like, where's the freaking kid? Because they hadn't found his body yet unless it just disintegrated or something but yeah so um they have like some they call like a bunch of different people and then an investigator comes in and he's like investigating the crime scene and he's like oh all the fucking guns are gone out of the case and then someone's like oh yeah we took them out for mr Pittman." he's like what the fuck he's like why would you do that this is like a crime scene they're like yeah we fought like shit yeah so he's kind of annoyed about that they're like whatever so they found joe's body he was face up on the bed and i guess because he'd been burnt so badly all that was basically left of him was like the trunk of his body oh my god yeah and then joy was found face down on the other side of the bed and she just had a large hole in her on the back of her head oh which was really disturbing but i also guess reading this like when you're under intense heat, like, your body parts and stuff, because when they found um, the other dude, his, like, stomach had exploded. And I guess what? under high heat, like, your organs and shit will just, like, explode out of your body. Oh, my God. Yeah, so they thought, oh, maybe that's why she has the hole in the back of her head, but they weren't sure. Oh, I thought that's what you were saying. Like, no. Her brain Isn't that crazy? No. So they're okay. like, well, we've seen, like, the skull, like, split, but nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's fucking insane. But then they're noticing, oh they have blood all over their bodies so then they start looking around csi comes in and they're finding fucking shotgun shells everywhere oh shit and then they find a box of shotgun shells near the woodshed and then come to find out the fire had been started in the loft so Mm. flashback to the kid with the hunters he's fucking relaxed as hell doesn't give a fuck what's happening they're like we need to know what's going on again he just keeps telling the same story about this black guy um then the last time they talked to him, he's like, oh, yeah, this black guy also burned down my house. He was walking around just pouring gas all over the house and burnt it down. Oh, you just remembered that, did you? Yeah. What the fuck? And then he said that he escaped out of the vehicle because they're like, how'd you get away from him? He's like, well, he used the restroom. And then when he used the restroom, I threw the keys to the car into the woods. So because of this, they set up a manhunt, like a whole fucking manhunt, like helicopters, <sighs> bloodhounds, like everyone's out looking for this fucking random black guy. Because they think he just killed two people and kidnapped some kid and burned down the house. Mm -hmm. So they're like, we need to get this guy. And then an investigator comes to talk to Chris just to get a description. And he's like, he's black. That's it. Like, can't tell him anything else. Yeah. 
So they're like, hmm, this is kind yeah. of weird. Yeah. And you don't so, remember what shirt he was wearing? You yeah, don't remember what literally, pants Yeah, did? They couldn't remember anything. He's like, maybe he was 6'2". That's all he says. Nothing else about him. So then um, they have a woman going because they think maybe she'll, uh, he'll talk to her a little more. And then she's asking him for more information. He's just telling her the same thing. She swabs his hands for um, like the ballistics to mm-hmm. see if uh, he'd shot a gun. He tells her, last time I shot a gun was yesterday during target practice. And I guess he went on this long tangent, too. He's like, me and Grandpa, we did this and that and blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And we got pizza. Just like going, telling like a whole story. Yep. Dude. Like he was just like overcompensating. Um, so he keeps telling all these elaborate stories. He draws them a map of like everything that happened. He's like, I hid here and then I ran through here. And like just like telling crazy stories. Um they finally go to the car on the logging road and they notice that the gear shifts in reverse and that the driver's seat is all the way to the front, despite him claiming that the black guy who kidnapped him was 6'2". Yeah. And then there's a five-gallon container of gasoline inside the car and then the back seat is just full of guns, like tons of fucking guns, knives, the Holy 410 shit. shotgun that they had found shells all over the house was back there. Just like a whole fucking armory back there they're like what the fuck and so this time they come back and they read him his miranda rights and i'm not sure how all this works because he was like 12 years old and his parents weren't there like i don't fucking know they ask him if he understands he's like i don't need my dad i don't need a lawyer i'm fine i don't care like i'll say whatever like doesn't give a fuck yeah so they just start questioning him they're like hey so you said this black man kidnapped you but we can't find that dude like they brought out bloodhounds or whatever the fuck and they weren't picking up anyone's scent besides the hunters and him they're like um the seat was pulled all the way forward he's like so tell me what really happened and so then he's just like kind of avoiding them and then finally he does a like normal kid thing where he's like like, you know and so then we eventually find out what really happens so two days before this Chris had gotten into a fight with a boy on the bus, which originally they were playing or something. You know how kids are. Yeah. And somehow he ends up freaking choking this kid on the bus, like holding him against the window, choking him. Oh, my God. And the kid's like eight and he's 12. And so he's like, if you end up telling anyone this, like, I'll kill you. And the kid's like, whatever. (laughs) And so he goes home, tells his parents. His parents call the school. They're like, hey, this kid is choking our son on the bus. And they report him. And so then the school calls his grandparents and they come and ask him to take him home. Obviously, he's in a shit ton of trouble. But I guess, too, because I was listening to, like, another podcast talk about this. And they had said that, like, the grandma, like, the way they would punish them is, like, the grandma would, like, pinch them. Like, oh, bad boy or whatever, you know. Like, so he wasn't really ever, like, super, yeah, like, punished. But this time, like, his grandfather, I guess, paddled him or whatever, as he would say. And I guess this, like, really, like, got to him because earlier, I don't know if you remember, but his dad would use a paddle on him. And so it was, like, this, like, thing in his head where he's like, I can't believe they're doing this to me. Yeah. So he waited for them to go to bed. Wayne got the shotgun, loaded it in his bedroom, and then just he said he just went into their bedroom, aimed at the bed, shot four times, picked up the shell casings, threw them into his room, and then he got three candles, um, cigarette lighter fuel Hmm. like to refill those like yeah yeah um poured it all around the candles and then put paper around it and then went and got the guns put them in the car got his fucking dog put him in the car 
took $33 from his grandma's purse and then just started driving. Holy uh, shit. Yeah. So he slept in some random town and then he woke up that next morning and then just drove down that logging road until he got stuck. Um, buried the keys in the dirt. Like, dude, the way he was describing everything he did, it was, like, fucking crazy. It was, like, how was, like, a 12-year-old thinking of all this shit? But, yeah. I'm actually, like, honestly, you describing some of this, I'm like, fuck. This kid was, like, yeah. if he had been a little smarter and a little bigger, like, yeah. damn, I think he really <laughs> could have yeah. done a lot of damage. Yeah. It's, like, wild. So, but then, yeah, that's where it brought, brings us to the beginning of the story where he finds those two hunters. And so... When they asked him why he lied, he was like, well, he's like, if I got in trouble again, I just get sent back to my dad's and I hate my dad. Oh, my God. You just murdered your yeah. grandparents, bro. Yep. So they have him write his, the confession and he signs it. And then he, I don't I don't think he really understood, like, what was going to happen to him. But everyone's obviously shocked that this happened. The neighbors in the town are like, oh, my gosh, like. Uh, yeah, it was wild. And mm-hmm. so then they have to wait three years and they try him as an adult when he's 15. And obviously, like, pro- um, they're trying to say the defense, like, well, the antidepressants were clouding his judgment, making him act irrational, blah, blah, blah. But um, the prosecution wasn't buying. They're like, no. Like, so he was sentenced to 30 years in prison for murdering his grandparents. Um the prosecution counter is saying he was simply angry at Joe and Joy when he killed them in November of 2001 for disciplining disciplining him after choking a younger kid on the bus. So there was a lot of controversy surrounding this, obviously, because he was just 12. And even, like, the jurors, I guess, like, have admitted they had, like, a really hard time with the case because they're like, should we even be doing this? Like, he's being tried as an adult. Um, one was quoted saying, if Chris Pittman had been 25, we could have come to the decision much earlier. Because of his age, it was very, very difficult. Nothing about psychiatric, like, stay in a hospital type. Yeah. I'm surprised this hasn't come up at all. This is a very that's, scary 12-year-old. Yeah, like, I think. He needed to be, like, institutionalized, especially yeah. if he was on antidepressants and if stuff. If he's not realizing that killing grandma and grandpa is going to lead to any kind of consequence yeah. other than going back to your dad's, it's like... like, dude, yeah. Which, uh, this is crazy, too, because my sister and I were talking about this the other day. It's just, like, yeah, like, 12-year-old killing someone with a shotgun. It's like, do they really understand that? Like, your brain isn't even developed no. until, like, you're 20, I think, 5 or yeah. 4 or so. Yeah, it's just crazy but yeah so he was sentenced and before he was sentenced he said i know it's in the hands of god whatever he decides on that's what it's going to be and he hung his head as the verdict was read and he tried to make an appeal i think in 2006 but it was denied yeah yeah so he's still in prison and yeah so and that was back in when did he get sentenced uh i think he was sentenced in 2000, so it was three years after. He did in 2000. So I think the trial was in 2003, yeah. And then he tried to appeal it three years later, I guess when he was 18, but it was denied. So he's been in for <coughs> 20 years. Yeah. He could get out in 10 years. Yeah, it's crazy. I wonder how he's doing, like if he's any better. I don't know. Uh, fucking probably it's crazy not. crazy too when you're a kid and you go in. Like, Has he been in solitary, do you know? I don't know. Because they say know. solitary can legit drive a person crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's sad. But 
Yeah, so um, my sources were a CBS News article called Prescription for Murder, Murderpedia page, because they always have, like, a bunch of different fucking articles on there. Mm-hmm. Um, that podcast, The Small Town Murders, and then a WLTX article called... Uh, I don't even know. It was just like Pittman acted strangely before her slayings, and yeah. I tried to find an author, and there wasn't one. So yeah, I don't know. So, but yeah, sweet. That was my story. Well, that's fucking nuts. Yeah, I don't remember hearing about this kid at all. I was also like fifteen when that happened, so oh, I probably really? was not paying attention. Yeah, I didn't remember either. But yeah, I guess it was like actually really like a lot of like controversy and shit around it, and like well, all over the 12, news. Twelve. I mean, he committed. I'm just really surprised they weren't like let's get this kid as not saying yeah you just help yeah I, you that's know what i was saying because yeah me dom and rachel were talking about it and dom was saying like oh yeah they're they're crazy they need to be in jail i was like no i was like i think they need to be in like a freaking institution like yeah. i was like they're little kids they obviously need help or something and then everyone was like yeah you're right yeah yeah well again like trying to <coughs> imagine what you were doing at 12 yeah i was peeling glue off my fingertips <laughs> yeah. at 12 um and it's like this kid just could not wrap his head around the fact that if yeah. I take this shotgun, I know what it does. I know that it can kill. Anyway, I'm going to pump four into this and then I'm going to set it on fire. Yeah. And then I'm going to go get in this car with $33 and my dog. Yeah. And a bunch of guns and we'll see what happens. Yeah. That's fucking insane. <laughs> that is so far beyond. Yeah. So I can't believe they were like, well, this is not correct we yeah. should probably get them some help yeah. rather than well let's wait three years so we can try him as an adult yeah okay i know it's sad so <laughs> i'm annoyed it's sad all around i always feel bad for kids like that even like hearing stuff like even my little brother dude getting into trouble and stuff yeah. right now it's like he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing like he's just doing it because he thinks he's cool it's something. gonna get him something yeah. like right now the reward is quick yeah. Like when you're a teenager, you're looking for that instant reward because that's all that matters because yeah. like you're in that moment and everything's happening right fucking now. Yeah. yeah, they're not thinking about when they're 24 Yeah, and having to go to the, I don't know. Yeah, it would be interesting to do some kind of like thing where you could like interview people who are like tried as adults when they're kids and then like talk to them like, I don't know, years later and like there's, see how they feel about things if they really There's got to be some... Or- a book or something. 2020 episode yeah. or something that would have. I think it would be cool. They've covered that. Yeah. But then it's hard too. Is like, can you really trust those people? Even like, I don't know. It's like, I feel like it's something like deeply wrong with them where it's like, well, they always I would say be like that. Probably with someone like that, they should have some sort of part-time government assisted job, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, we make sure you don't handle more than you can. Yeah. You are on assisted living. We, you go to doctor that we provide for you like that's what i think it should be i mean only if they really are of no threat but if they're of a threat like and you don't they don't understand that yeah Yeah. shooting someone means bad things i don't know i'm not a psychologist me neither he's crazy (laughs) yeah me neither (laughs) we are doctors we are not doctors (laughs) that's why we're doing this podcast (laughs) Uh, I don't know, man. Should we pack it in? I gotta get up early tomorrow. Yeah. And then I foolishly offered to get Dutch Brothers before Uh-oh. I went in. Yikes. Like a fucking idiot. It seemed like <laughs> such a nice gesture Yeah. eight hours ago. Now I'm fucking tired. <laughs> like, oh, fuck. Yeah. So. Seriously. Well, 
Yeah, no, it's all good. My computer shut down on us halfway through. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I finished typing. I didn't finish typing, actually, technically, but, you know, I was typing up until the moment you got here, so. That's our yeah. typical. That's how we do. <laughs> I was happy to, I was relieved when you were like, yeah, I, uh, I usually am typing right up until yeah. I leave. It's like, cool. I hate that I do it, but. Yep. Will, Dude, I, will I change? No. Because when you were sick, I was like, oh, great. I've got yeah. all this time now to finish typing. Did I do it? Fuck no. That's what I always think, too. I'm like, oh. I have time now. Yep. And then I throw it away. (laughs) So. All right. All right. Goodbye. Farewell. Avidasin. Good night. (laughs) Farewell. (laughs) Farewell.